this Sabbath, we're going to be talking about hope. Uh, I know the bulletin says belonging. You see, I usually give my sermon schedule about a year in advance. And so it was belonging today up until about three weeks ago when I redid the schedule until next next year, uh, December, January. So anyhow, so sorry to place with Shereen on, on you guys doing the bulletin, but it is on hope. Um, and, and so this is a topic that is very dear to me. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you find yourself in need of hope. Maybe going down on a bicycle trail and suddenly facing some from a precipice. Or perhaps you're camping and you have visitors in, in your tent where you're saying, Oh, I'm in need of hope right now because the situation looks pretty hopeless. Or I don't know if anybody would enjoy going for a train ride on this particular train. But there are situations where, you know, I don't know if you see that chart behind small photobombing as well for them. But there are situations that you could find yourself in where we can be in need of hope. When you're saying, oh me, oh my, I don't see absolutely any good outcome out of this. And so can we agree that in the world that we're in, hope is a much needed thing? Is that all right? So today we're going to talk briefly about hope. And we're going to look at the source of our hope and the reason why it's important. You understand something. Remember when we got all the leaders to come up here that we pray over them? Remember the rest of you that stay sitting down? You do not need to be in the church office to serve God. You do not need to be in the church office to be able to be a person who spreads the gospel message. There's all kinds of places and positions and things in which we can minister. The Bible says we are all ministers. We are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And therefore, wherever you are, whether you are a teacher or a student, whether you are working and you are a boss or an employee, it does not matter. Wherever you are, you can be an ambassador on behalf of God. And what I'm asking as we look at today's message is that when you leave here, you're also someone who spreads hope on behalf of our Savior. Because we are all in need of hope. Let us go ahead and pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. And I ask, Father God, that you pour out your spirit into this place. That it be you speaking and not I. That, that you anoint my lips, but also prepare our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your message. This is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen. 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 So, you know, when we look at the Apostle Paul, he wrote several letters. And the Apostle Paul, as he wrote the letters, notice how he began. Now, I'm just showing you an example of three of them. We, we believe that he wrote 13 slash 14. There's one book that some theologians go back and forth, whether he did or didn't. It doesn't matter. He wrote at least half of the New Testament. And look what he saw. Look at some of the verbiage here that we have here on the scriptures. And we just got this on this week, so we're kind of trying to sort of work them out. Please forgive us and be merciful. We'll get it unpacked. We'll use the full screen. You'll get the full text. We'll make it happen. But for right now, what we're doing that, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, and it says the following. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. First thing is mentioning you in what? In our prayers. They're also thanking God and mentioning them in prayers. Let me tell you guys, 
If you're going to talk about anybody, do it on your knees. That is the first place that you should go about talking about someone. Do it on your knees. Verse 3, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspire the verses by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So here it is. We're thanking God for you. We're praying for you. And then it says that we're inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the center of all of our hope. That's how he begins the letter to Thessalonians. What about Colossians? Colossians chapter 1 verses 3 and 5. Look how he begins the letters to Colossians. And I'll wait for you to get there. Colossians chapter 1 verses 3 through 5. Colossians 1, verses 3 to 5. Oh, look at that. We got it on the screen. I think we might be there. All right. And it says as follows. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, doing what? Once in a while. Last week, and then I forgot for the rest of the year. Always for you. Okay? And then it says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all of the saints. Verse 5. Because of the, what does it say there? Hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. And so here you have it. He's beginning this letter. You have it in Thessalonians. You have it in Colossians. Look how he begins Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 18. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 18. And I hear pages turning, so that's good. We'll get this worked out in a moment. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. And it says as follows. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your, what? Love for all the saints. Let's say some of the saints, only the ones that I like, only the ones that are part of my little clique or club. Not that we have those things in churches. It says for all of the saints. Verse 16. And it says, do not cease to give what? Thanks for you. Making mention of you in my what? Prayers. Absolutely. 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of what? And in the what? Of him. Verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints. Do you see how he began? That was just three of his letters. But do you see how he keeps saying, I give thanks God for you. And by the way, church, I do that for you guys daily. I pray for all of you. I have a cool list that I get to pray for all of you. Uh, some of you are members. Yes, those who want to be members and join in. There's a little paper in front of you that you can fill that out and do that. But as soon as I get you in the membership list, I'm praying for you. You are there, my daily prayers. And, and, and I thank God for all of you. I really do. And, and I do that because I saw how Paul did it for his people. And, and you saw everything that Paul did. And I'm saying, if we're going to make a difference, how can I not pray for the people that God has entrusted? me with at this moment and I have to tell you you need to do the same thing in your homes pray for yourselves pray for your spouses pray for your children pray for your church pray for your leaders and so I praise the Lord for you and I thank God for you 
But I also notice something here with Paul. He keeps encouraging them and giving them reasons for hope. In Christ Jesus, the center of our hope and the source. In him we have eternal life. Hope for our calling. And here you have it. I mean, he began all of his letters with some form of greeting, with, with hope and faith and guidance and, and exhortation. And he concludes it just the same. We are in need of hope. And have you ever been hopeless, like not being able to see a way out? I mean, I know I kind of show some pictures and stuff like that. But, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. When I first moved here, you know, I, I, I became the pastor of this church March last year. So I'm a little bit over a year here. And when I was moving here, I don't know if you know how pastors get paid. You know, we get, we get paid three checks. We get our regular salary. Then we get a traveling budget because some pastors, man, like, you know, Crawfordville has that one road like 15 miles south of here, but it's only 15 miles. It's awkward, it's lonely, there's bear crossing, crossing signs, so it's a little scary for a city boy like me from New Jersey. You know, I, I get it, but it's not too bad. There's some pastors that some of their churches are 70 and 80 miles apart. And they're putting a distance. So there's a travel budget, if you will, to kind of help those pastors. You know, pastors' cars are always falling apart. You know, so to try to help them. And then there's a cost of living. Because living in St. Pete versus Tallahassee versus Miami is a totally different thing. So what happens for me last year, I'll give you a brief example. Moving from St. Pete to here, my travel, my cost uh, uh, housing expense only increased by $20. Yay, I'm getting $20 more a month. Woohoo! But my house, I only paid just shy of $800 a month. It was like $7.98 for the mortgage and like 33 cents or something like that. Moving out here for what I need because I'm adopting my niece, she needs to have her separate room. So anything for bedroom and, and at least two bathrooms because these guys go like every 15 minutes and I need me time. So at least two I know it's TMI, but you know me. I'm right here, right? And so the point is, is that to try to find that, it was at least 1300 $1, in this area. So I'm looking at $500 more a month in expenses. And then my wife had a part-time job over there making about $500 a month. So minus her $500 plus $500 in housing. I'm already down the hole $1,000, but I get $20 bucks more. Woohoo! And so I'm saying to my bosses, look, I recognize it's not as bad as Miami. But man, bro, come on. And so he says to me, Joey, don't be discouraged. Have hope. Have faith. Everything will be all right. We're going to make it happen. I got a place, four bedroom, three bath, 900 bucks a month. Come on now. But at that moment, I was like, no. See, you could be a source of hope for someone. You could tell someone, I know you, it seems, seems, things look hopeless right now, but you could borrow my hope. It will be I, because I have a God. I have a Savior that he always shows a way. When you don't see a way out, my God shows you. He can turn an N in the road into a bend in the road. Do you, do you see that? I mean, he, that my God can do that. And so you can be a beacon of hope for people. That was just one example reason. I could tell you much more. By the way, keep my wife in prayer. Medical family emergency. Her sister got some, some horrible news. And so she's been with her visiting doctors and stuff like that in Orlando. Left this week. Keep me in prayer because I'm all alone against them. 
But, you know, but, but keep her in prayer because she needs to be a beacon of hope for her family now. When things look dim, when things look bad. And, and, and so sometimes it's just being present. You don't have to come up with words of wisdom, but just be there for someone. But right now she's doing that for her family. And so we are able to do that. But does this world need hope? Are we in need of that right now? Let me show you the difference or the opposite of hope. Something that's written in the book Finding Hope. It says the opposite uh, of hope, uh, typo there, sorry, is to make fear your home. Then you spend large portion of your days being afraid of what might happen. You go about your life presuming the worst is just waiting to occur. You convey this expectation to others. At every turn, you deny the possibilities. Do you know a world of people that might be living in fear, expecting the worst? Let me tell you this. This last year has been crazy. This last year alone, there has been so several things. Now, first of all, let me tell you this. I believe heavily, and I pray never ceases to be the case, that the pulpit should never be a place for political agendas. The pulpit should never be a place for a minister to endorse one way or the other. I'm not here to endorse any of the parties or any of these guys here, but I want you to pretend that this is the United States of America right here. I want you to take a step back and just take a look at what happened in this country. Just last year during the election, something happened. Now, throughout history, you've always had extremists one way or the other, conspiracy theories. They're looking, they're watching, you know, you've had all of that. But last year, with the elections leading up to the presidency that we have right now, just taking a step back, this is what I saw. The one saying the one is corrupt, the other one saying the other one is corrupt, the one on their investigation supposedly, the other one on their investigation supposedly, one saying the news say this, but that's a lie. The other one saying what well, this news says this, and this is a lie. Stuff being spread on Facebook, then stop debunking the stuff that was spread on Facebook. And suddenly, we can't trust, now we knew we could never trust the internet, but now... We could not trust the news because apparently CNN said this, but Fox says it's a lie. Fox said this and CNN said it was a lie. And you see all of these things. And suddenly you used to have people over here, people over here. And the ones in the middle is not so bad. It's not so crazy. But now the people who are just sort of in the middle, you can't trust the media. There's stuff out there, corruptions and lies and this and that. So suddenly... If you're looking at this country, you're seeing a world of people that are saying, man, the potential leaders, they could be corrupt. Oh my, the new leader now, he may be corrupt. Maybe he's with the Russians. Maybe he's not. He's the best president ever. No, he's the worst. Suddenly, and I'm not saying that I'm sponsoring one way or the other. What I'm saying, this is what people are thinking now. In this world, they feel they can't even trust their leader. In this country right now, they feel they can't trust the news. We knew the internet was crazy. But now you turn on the TV and you're saying, is that correct? Is that not correct? How will we know? Is stuff being photoshopped? Are the videos there? You have a world of people who are afraid. You have a world of people saying, wow, what is happening with this country? And so just recently, that has happened. What else has happened recently? Not too long ago in London, they go to a concert, they go to party, and there's a bombing. Now, you can't even go to a concert and sing. You're afraid of going to the mall or a park or an amusement park. Anywhere there's too many people, you're saying, I don't know because this is a place where it could be bombed. And people are afraid. People are afraid. People are seeing a world where there is no hope. What else has happened? Here you have it. Now, again, 
I want you to step away from this for a moment. This is Philando Castillo. He got killed last year by the police in, in, in June or July or something like that. And then it just so happened that the police officer was acquitted. Now, please understand when I say this and please don't stall me when I say this. I recognize that some people are saying it's fair. Some people are saying no, it's not fair. I'm not here to argue whether or not it was the right decision or the wrong decision. But I want you to step back and look at this picture. Shortly after Philando was shot, mom is thrown in the back of the car with the little girl. And I don't know if you've seen the video. I didn't play it here because of some of the language, etc. Plus kids don't need to really necessarily see all of this. But mom is crying. No, they kill him. And the little girl, mom, shh, shh, mom, no, don't, don't say anything. I don't want you to get shooted. When a four-year-old girl is telling mom, shut up, don't grieve for, for him. Be quiet because I don't want you to get shot. Something is wrong. And I have a serious problem with that because we have a lot of people that see racism everywhere. Then we have people that see racism nowhere. And then suddenly we tend to the fact that we don't look at the reality that right now we are in a world where we can't trust our politicians and now we can't trust our police. If you've seen all of my cars, I have those cool tags that says support local police enforcement. I do support the local police. I do support that. But when our children, when a four-year-old is saying, Mama, no, shush, because I don't want you to get shooting. You can't grieve or cry out because someone just got killed. Something is wrong. Something is seriously wrong. And we have to be real with ourselves. Because we are teaching our people that they need to be afraid. And let me tell you this. Racism is very real. If you don't see it, you are living in denial and you need to repent. And I have to tell you, we need to stand up and do something about it. I remember once upon a time, if you look through our history, the Adventist church stood up against slavery. The Adventist church stood up for women's rights. Why are being we so silent now? We need to be a beacon of hope for our community. We need to stop. And by not standing up and saying anything, we are endorsing or condoning what is taking place. And I'm not saying that we need to do something outright crazy. But what I'm saying is that we need to be a place that we can look at a family like this and be able to embrace them and say, here it is safe. Here you can't grieve and you won't get shooted. It is okay. We have a God that loves us and we should be able to do that. But this is the world that we're in. Now, I accidentally tried to, to Google black men killed by cops and a whole bunch of stuff appears. I was really just looking for this photo. And, and, and so that's something in itself. But we need to pray. We need to really pray for our community and the world that we're in. This is just very reason. What about this? I mean, uh, this is a fire that took place in London. Uh, again, London again, you know, back to back. And what happened here, it was accidental in a refrigerator malfunction. But this is what they discovered afterwards. The tiles and the insulation was highly flammable. Yet, when they inspected afterwards, yes, yeah, flammable. But all of the previous inspections, when everything was built, when it was given the seal of an okay approval, it was all right. Not flammable at all. So we can't even trust the people that inspect and give us the okay. People were trapped in the buildings, throwing their kids down, hoping, please save my baby. Please catch my baby. Others calling, mom, dad, we can't get out. Is running up the walls and the tiles and the insulations. And they had those painful phone calls. Imagine getting that call from your child. We are here. We are stuck because we can't even trust the inspectors. Do you see what's happening? 
from racism to corruption, whether it's inspectors, etc. This is a world, and this is just the last couple of weeks. We have a world of people that need hope. You ever read that scriptures in Thessalonians? I tell you this so that you don't grieve like the rest of them who have no hope. Remember that? And so we here, we have to grieve differently. We have to react differently. We have to be able to share some of the light that Christ has reflected upon us. If you truly follow Christ, if you truly have given your life to Christ, then you need to be a beacon of hope. But just in case you aren't sure, I'm going to give you seven biblical reasons for spreading hope. Because so does say of the Lord, yeah? Reason number one. And you know what? We could start right after this first reason and call it a day. The first reason, the very first reason why is the centerpiece of our hope. Now, before I look at the Bible, who's the centerpiece of our hope? Come on now. Absolutely. But let us not guess or speculate. First Timothy 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. He is the centerpiece of our hope. Why should we care whether somebody gets shooted or not? Why should we care whether or not somebody's cutting corners in a building? Why should we care if there's corruption anywhere? Jesus. Why should we embrace someone? Because of Jesus. Why should we feed someone? Because of Jesus. Why should we clothe someone? Because of Jesus. Why should we be there and stand by their side as they're going through it? Because of Jesus. This should be the very first reason why we need to spread hope. Reason number two, eternal life. If you don't believe in eternal life, then why are you here? Because you feel good? Because this became a social club instead of a community and a movement? Come on now, you can't say amen. Say ouch. Eternal life is available to some believers, only the ones that I like. What does it say there? All believers, but don't take it from me. Look at the word of God. Titus 1, 1, 2, and 3. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the what? Of? You are God's elect. And the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness, too. In what? In hope of? Eternal life. If we started to live our lives daily in hope of this eternal life, we will make some daily decisions much different than the ones we make now. In hope of eternal life, which God, who what? Cannot lie. Let me tell you this. I have made it a goal to stop making promises to God or make less promises to God and start trusting more in his promises. My God is a God who cannot lie. Promise before time began. Verse 3. But has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which has committed to me according to the commandment of our Savior. He's committed that to you as well. Reason number three. Well, the Bible. All of the stories in the Bible, Bible scripture, it really is for hope. If there's any other reason, it's because the gospel has to be spread. Every story in there is for hope. And you say, but Joey, even the one when they make fun of that bald-headed guy and he had bears, eat them. I don't know. That's what the Bible says. It says that their stories are hope. Romans 54 says, for whatever things were written before, were written for our what? Learning that we, through the what? And what? Of the scriptures might have what? Absolutely. We need to spread the Bible. You know, I struggle with this because I remember throughout history, 
I remember throughout history, you know, when people used to sew pieces of scriptures inside their clothing and they used to be persecuted. They used to get shooted and stuff because of that. They, they used to, you know, completely get chased and hurt because of the scriptures. And yet here we have Bibles laying around the house and we never open them. I saw a house one where they had it as a doorstop. I was like, whoa, it was one of those big illustrated ones. They said, you know, I'm never going to carry this to church. I'm not buff enough. And they were just sitting there propping the door open as we were moving some stuff in. I was like, oh, mercy. And yet they do that. When I went overseas, which in a couple of weeks I'll share with you a message from when I went to Kenya. Um, you know, over there, oh, they say, well, I said, what do you guys need? He says, please send us Bibles. They wanted them. And here we take it for granted. Here we are taking for granted something that contains Hope. Reason number four. Hope is found in God's purpose for our lives. Do you realize that God has called all of you? Ephesians 1.18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his what? Calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? You are all called. He knew you even before you were made. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows the very hairs on your head, even though it's not that difficult of a task for some of us. For all of you, he knows that. My God knows you. And before you were, the plan of salvation was already in place. And he has called all of us to play an individual role. We all have a part to play in delivering the gospel message and spreading hope to the world. And I have to tell you, those of you who know me a little bit, um, I have worked many jobs. Being a pastor is the only time that I only had a singular job. Since I was 11, I had a minimum of two, sometimes three and four jobs. So when you look at my resume, I have to edit because as it is right now, it's like three pages. And I take jobs and put it in depending on what I'm applying for. I have many jobs. But now that I'm working as a pastor, I have never been happier. I have never been happier. There's something to be said when you are working in the position that you were called to work for. There really is something to be said about that. I'll digress very briefly. We have new leadership, and my hope is between now and next year to have everybody in the church do a spiritual gift test. So that people next year start serving in accordance to their giftedness rather than their willingness or their guilt. Could you imagine how it would look like when you serve because this is your passion and your gift versus because this is your guilt and just your kindness? Let me tell you this. I could do many things. I used to work at a mechanic shop, but do I want to be a mechanic for a living? Uh Uh-uh. You know, I've worked with kids before, but do I want to do your class, Tasha? Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Babies are cute, but one at a time. Just, just one at a time, huh? Uh, you know, and, and so, so th- there are some things that you are not gifted in. So I, so I would pray to do that because when your life lines up in accordance to the will of your creator, ah, oh, there's a joy that comes with that, which leads us to number five. When you spread hope, there is joy. That comes with that. Now, I don't want to steal too much from this verse because there's also a couple of other lessons in this verse. And I underlined in there for you. But it says, be joyful in what? 
and hope. You know what that means? That even when things look dim, my favorite example, you're going to get tired of me showing you this, but I loved it because I think it's something that hits home for me. When Stephen was being stoned, in the middle of being stoned, he's saying, I see the heavens and Lord forgive him because I don't you know how in the middle of that horrible situation you are about to die. You're being criticized. You're being stoned. You're saying, praise God, glory, hallelujah. And Father, forgive them. There's something to be said when Christ is really living in your hearts. There's something to be said. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Number six, the second coming of Christ. Another reason to spread hope. How do I know? Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings what? Has appeared to all men. Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Before I go to verse 13, let me tell you this. Some of us think that when I get to heaven, I'm going to be transformed. Perhaps this moral will put on immortality. But our character... Do you think that God is going to welcome some of this stuff? It's okay, God is not finished with me yet. I get it, but make that a goal for change, not an excuse to remain the same. Are you with me? Because God is working on us right here. That process is happening right here and right now. In this present age. Come on now, you can't say amen. Say ouch. Verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And number seven, an amazing life awaits us. First Peter chapter three, verses three to five. Uh, yeah, sorry. First Peter four, three to five. Sorry, I cut something off there. Yeah, four, three to five. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great what? Has what? What has given us? New birth into a what? Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power unto the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Here we have a promise that through faith we are shielded by God's power. And we have an amazing life that is to come. These are just seven reasons. I don't know why pastors like the number seven, so they always choose seven. There's a whole lot of more Bible verses as to why we need to spread hope. But if you pay absolutely no attention to anything I said so far, pay attention to this right now. We are in a world of uncertainties. There's a lot of information and misinformation out there. There's twisting and turning and just craziness and madness that are happening. There's very real things that we may have been blinded to for many a time. But it doesn't matter what you feel and what you think. That's right. Your feelings and your thoughts don't matter. And I'm saying that, please don't stone me, because the problem is that there's a world of people out there that are feeling this way, that are being treated in such a manner, and we need to be able to help them. And we need to do that. Why? Because of Jesus. 
Because the truth of the matter is that my God has left this place to go prepare mansions so that where he is, we may also be. But while we occupy here, it is our jobs to be ambassadors for him, extensions of him, creating here in the church a place of trust, belonging, and hope. And God, as Auntie Ellen would say, in Ministry of Healing, page 143, could have finished the work all by himself. But in order for us to develop a character like Christ, we must be partakers in his life-saving mission. Won't you be an ambassador for Christ? Won't you be a beacon of hope for the world that we are living in? Let us go ahead and pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. And Father God, I recognize that sometimes we ourselves are hopeless. I recognize that sometimes we ourselves can't see a way out. But Lord, it is when there is no way out that you often show up big time. It is when there's no way out that you really manifest your power. The uglier things seem, the greater the miracle. We could be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, and there you are making it happen that we don't even get burned. We don't even smell smoky. I mean, we are all good. It could be that you tell us to go into war. There's 30,000 people, and he says, no, no, cut it down. Cut it down to like 300, lest you think you did it by your own power. I mean, these are all stories in the Bibles that show us that when things are ugliest, that's when you manifest your power even greater. So the worst thing, the worst things are, the more we should smile. The worst things are, the greater our hope should be. The uglier things may seem, the brighter our hope for you ought to be because you are an amazing God, one that can open doors that no one can shut and shut doors that no one can open. You are God Almighty. And so Father God, it is my prayer that this church can be a place of trust, belonging, and hope, a beacon of light in this community. Not only for this church as a whole, but every individual here, whether it's in their own homes, if their spouses don't know you yet, whether it's at their jobs, if their co-workers don't know you yet, whether it's at a school, if their classmates don't, don't, don't know you yet, in their neighborhoods, if their neighbors don't know you yet, wherever it is, we are called to be light in darkness, not to be hidden, but to be uplifted so that others can see you, to be in a high place so that when they see us, they can see you. We're merely reflecting your awesome, magnificent light. You are a mighty God. May the world know you. Father God, please work in us and through us for the benefit of all. It is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.